two, one. Here we go! Welcome back to Big Friendly Sports with John Hamm. Here in early November, the NBA season is fully underway. Uh, Oklahoma is losing to Oklahoma State in Bedlam. Uh, It is just sports pandemonium around here. But uh, plenty of Thunder stuff to talk about, even if it's early in the season. And for that, I bring in uh, from Sellout Crowd, my cohort, Michael Martin. Michael, how is it going today? Going very well. You know, I was trying to get over some of those Bedlam emotions as an OU grad, but well, let's hope that we can just talk about some fun Thunder stuff. But uh, are you an OU, OSU guy, John? I've, I've never figured that out. Um, yes. So here's the thing. Yes, I am an OU fan, but I do not hate OSU. Like, yeah. I, I got over that, like, a long time ago. Now, clearly in Bedlam, I, I have a rooting interest, but uh, let's just say not to the degree of what you typically see from OU fans online. You know, I I was able to um to to get on with my day after the uh, after the end of the game. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Texas. I don't hope they win any games. OSU, <laughs> as long as they're not playing OU, like go ahead. I hope you do well. Yeah, no, I, I I am a fan of what is good for the state of Oklahoma, honestly. And look, it would have been good for the state of Oklahoma if OU had won that Bedlam game being where they were ranked and kind of having a path potentially to the college playoffs, even though that was getting dimmer and dimmer based on how they were playing. Um, but look, you know, Oklahoma State came out, controversial calls aside, they outplayed OU in that game. And, you know, this could lead to something, you know, good for the state of Oklahoma by Oklahoma State winning that game. They finally found their groove. So I can't be mad about it. I am, I am a fan of Oklahoma. That's kind of how I put it, the state overall. Well, let's get into some Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder, indeed. That is the other major thing happening here. So before we get to that, I want to thank the sponsors for our show today. That includes MidFirst Bank, Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your Oklahoma Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. So, Michael, again, let's caution this over and over. It is early. It is early in the season. So I'm not making, you know, grand takeaways. I'm not, you know, this has got to be fixed right now or this one thing is going to sustain the entire season. It's early. We take a bit of a breath. But, man, it is kind of fun to, like, pick up a few things and say this is noteworthy. Like, we let's go ahead and just let's put a pin in this. And let's come back and see how this progresses throughout the season. I found a few things, and I'm sure that you've identified a few things as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it early is just kind of you don't know if it's real or not, but sometimes there can be foreshadowing for the rest of the season. Like last year, Shea got off to an incredible pace of play, and you were kind of wondering, is this going to keep up or not? And it turns into an all-NBA season. Different guys started that season who ended up you know, sort of just riding the bench the rest of the year. But it'll be interesting to look back on this on our takeaways and see uh, what we got right and what we got wrong. And on a similar note, last season, Josh Giddy got off to a slow start. And the conversations, if we go back and find every local podcast from around that time, can Shay and Giddy mesh? You know, what's going on with Giddy? Is, is the fit too clunky? And it worked itself out. Josh played a lot better. So I'm starting to see a little bit of that early this season as well, because Josh has struggled in some regards. But you know, I think there's a lot of explanations for that. Obviously, 
adding in Chet Holmgren and sort of having to reformulate everything. Um, I do think the summer basketball is, is a bit of a thing that's going to carry over. And, you know, again, it's early. So if Josh, like, if it takes him 20 games to catch his stride, it takes 20 games. It's fine. Um, but I just, I, I know some people want to want to leap to conclusions there. I wouldn't go there just yet with Josh. Yeah, seven games in October weigh the same as much as seven games in February. It just depends yeah. on when the cold streak is. But people get a little bit more worried when it's to start the season. But I'm with you. He had a cold stretch last year. And adding Chet cannot be understated of just everyone sort of, adjusting their role where before it was Gideon J-Dub sort of going back and forth of who's the second leading score on this team. Now they're jockeying for third and fourth. But yeah, I, I'm with you. It's a small yeah. sample size. There are some things to take away, but I wouldn't overreact. And one other thing before we get into that, because I know there's a great many of you out there that subscribe to Bally Sports Plus that you're probably like, I would love to have takeaways, but I cannot watch the local team. Um, it has been a massive struggle for Bally Sports Plus in particular. Now, if you are a traditional cable subscriber, satellite subscriber, that includes, you know, Bally Sports because Dish does not carry that channel, you've been fine. If you've been able to go to your cable box or you've been able to go to your, you know, satellite box, and I think there's also like FUBU TV, I think also carries Bally, but those have been unaffected. But the people that subscribe to Bally Sports Plus as an add-on, because it's not part of the regular cable package, it has been plagued by outages. And, you know, on one hand, being an IT person, I sort of understand, you know, glitches in the system, doing updates, there's always a certificate somewhere that it doesn't match, or there's a box that needs to be checked. Like, I'm sympathetic about those things. But man, when it happens multiple nights in a row, that becomes a problem. And Valley Sports Plus uh, emailed out at subscribers and said, we're going to issue a seven-day refund, uh, apologize profusely for the issues. And I mean, I even saw, you know, last night some people complaining that, you know, they were still having issues last night. So um, it's not ideal. There's a lot of things that are changing in the horizon and uh, plan on talking about more of that soon because, um, you know, as Jenny and I have wrote, have wrote about, Bally Sports is, uh, or Diamond Sports, which operates Bally Sports, is going through bankruptcy. Uh, the NBA uh, negotiated, um, and they're getting their rights back at the end of this season. And that's going to open up. I think some people may wind up going back to Bally Sports. Others may choose to go another path, like we've seen with the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns, where they're going over the air. It's really interesting stuff. So uh, for those of you out there that are Bally Sports Plus subscribers that have had the frustration of not being able to watch the game, I totally understand because I am one of those people too. And uh, it's not a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully it's something that gets ironed out soon. So, you know, Michael, I know obviously, you know, you attend games a lot, but is this something that you have also had to deal with? Yeah, I've had friends reach out to me asking about this. And, you know, you mentioned working in IT. I took one coding class in college and I forever have respect for people in IT. I can't do anything like that. But I get the frustration from people of, you know, you get home from a hard day of work. You want to watch your favorite team and you can't do that. And it's just making it so much harder. And it'd be one thing if this was a few years ago when people weren't as excited. But there's a lot of hype around this team and it's turning into something like, a lot of generations ago where if you want to watch a game, you had to actually go to the game and not everyone has all that time to do it. So I, I hope it does get fixed. Cause like I mentioned, I have had friends reach out to me. It's like, what's going on, but 
Um, hopefully this does get fixed, but I'm looking forward to your conversations later about this and sort of getting into the weeds of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it ties into uh, the NBA negotiating national TV contracts, and I think the local broadcast could be part of that. I'm really curious to see how league pass changes. Um, and again, what is old is new again with people that, you know, teams that are going back to over the air where, you know, the Thunder began on Channel 52 here in Oklahoma City, KSBI. Um, I think it was only a package of games that aired over the air back then. But the very first Thunder regular season game was on over the air television. And um, as more people are cutting the cord. And a lot of people are saying it's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the cost just to watch this basketball team. Uh, if you want to get your product out there, you may have to go back to over the air. So I think that is definitely a factor, um, probably more so in Oklahoma City than, you know, Los Angeles or some of the other major markets. But uh, the landscape is shifting and uh, there's a lot more insight to come on that. So um, exciting times if you love broadcast talk. But what people love more is Thunder Talk. And Michael. Let's talk about those big takeaways early in the season here. Um, my big takeaway, it's probably going to be somewhere on your list as well. Uh, Chet Holmgren's a game changer. And, you know, I think coming into the season, a lot of people were trying to sort of temper their expectations on what he could do. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of really good players on the team. And how's this all going to mesh? And the big takeaway I have is like, get Chet the ball even more. Like what he's doing when he gets the basketball, um, whether it is he's creating his own offense or he's being set up uh, to do something, uh, he's excelling in so many areas in that regard. He's averaging 17 points per game early on this season, along with eight rebounds, along with a steal, uh, almost three blocks a game. He's shooting an unsustainable 50-50-90 from the field. Um, but yeah, that is my big takeaway right there is um, – when you look at the pecking order, if you will, um, it's going to be Shea and Chet at the top of the list when all is said and done. Yeah, the, the stats have been incredible. I did some research and I found three guys who won rookie of the year who put up uh, like roughly these stats of 17 points per game, eight rebounds, over two assists, over two blocks, over 50% shooting. Those three players, John, Pau Gasol, Chris Webber, Tim Duncan. That is pretty good company. Pretty good company, but it, it really, like, I'm trying not to overreact like you mentioned, but I think in seven games already, he might be the Thunder's second best player already. And yeah. he just, the way he blends with Shea and just compliments him, I think is just really great for this team. And as we've talked about before, he just fills up so many holes. You can have like a hot shooting streak, like you mentioned, not sustainable from three, but just the stuff that you can't luck into, like his rim protection and basketball IQ and just um, attitude on the floor and other things, other intangibles, those are here to stay. I don't think a cold streak is affecting those. So the shooting may come and go, but there are certain things with Chet that I feel like you can already sort of put your, you sink your teeth into and trust. And again, seven games into the season, and the word timid at times is too strong. I wouldn't say he's been timid at times. I would say he's still trying to figure out, you know, it's almost like, if you're in a band, uh, all right, mm -hmm. is, is this where I can drop my, my bass solo? No. Okay. I need to back off and, and let someone else, Oh, it's, it's time for the drummer to, to do his, you know, I think it's a lot of that. Just making sure that you're not undercutting someone else. You're not stepping on someone's toes. Um, but 
you know, like I say, whenever whenever he is at his most assertive is when we're seeing the true potential of what this guy can do. And that includes just like taking the ball off the rim, getting a rebound and pushing it. And yes, sometimes it ends with like a behind the back pass to to Kaysen Wallace, who I believe said uh, he was he knew something finna about to happen. Uh, I, I forget the exact quote, but like some kind of chemistry developing there. Needless to say, um, you know, Chet is doing some things that that fans have a lot of reason to be excited about what he can bring. Yeah, I think there's more territory, like you mentioned, of him being timid. And I go back to a New York Times article that he spoke in last year where he said, you know, I don't have to change the team or the franchise. There are certain players like Victor Wembanyama has to do everything for the Spurs. Chet yeah. said, we're losing a lot of close games. I just have to be make us three points better. That's it. And it looks like he's really come in with that mindset. And it wasn't just like PR talk or him just speaking for a story. He really is just coming in and just, how can I help you guys win? Yeah. And uh, he's, he's exactly right. I mean, he's coming into, you know, if he had played last season, maybe there was a little bit more of that. I need to be more assertive and kind of, uh, you know, make my imprint here because it was a team coming off of a very bad season. Um, but when he misses the entire season, when they go 40 and 42, I know it's not a 500 team, but still it's not like, you know, he, he has to come in and, and solve a lot of things. Last season, there were so many games where we kept saying, Man, it'd be nice if they had Chet Holmgren. There was just, you know, games where they were getting, you know, uh, they were getting uh, bullied in the paint or, you know, they were just they were missing a defensive rim protector, uh, missing a vertical lob threat. There was just some things or, you know, the, the pick and pop stuff. We'd see Mike Muscala do these little drop back, you know, at the top of the key and get a pass and knock down a three. And it's like, that's going to be Chet in that role. And I think everything we saw last season that we knew Chet was going to be able to patch those holes. Uh, he's been able to do that more. Yeah, he's been great. And some of those lineups last year, no offense to the Thunder, like you mentioned with Mascala, but there are other ones where going to Chet now, it's like you were walking in the desert and someone offered you a glass of water. Like it is just very game changing for the Thunder in all those categories that you mentioned where you can have another big guy who can handle the ball, he can block shots, he can rebound, interior defense, space the floor, vertical threat, lob threat, just all that stuff that we all were sort of like hoping for so far has come to fruition. So there's uh, there's your daily dose of chat talk. Uh, do you have a big takeaway before I venture off into my next one? Um, I know that with a lot of these guys, we always talk about what we want them to look like in a role. And Lou Dort has been highly criticized for that. I mean, his reputation is a de- as a defender, but he's also somebody who's been maligned by myself and other fans for his shot selection, shot frequency, and the big ask was, can he take a step back in this role now with Chet here? And he's done that. And he's remained the same uh, special defender that he has been, where he's got Trey Young and Zach Levine shooting toward ace, uh, percentage-wise. But at the same time, he is occupying the corners on those threes. His drives look better. He just has fallen into that role. And if we're going to criticize him like I have, I feel the same need to you know, congratulate him for how he has adapted so far, even if it's early. It is early. And just as I mentioned, those shooting splits with Chet, uh, I don't think this 56, 51, 62, or I'm sorry, 81 uh, split on his uh, on his shooting is going to sustain either. Um, and also like when he's on the floor per basketball reference, the Thunder have an offensive rating of 136. Um, 
yeah, a, a lot of this is going to come back to the mean eventually. But, you know, I think people sort of envisioned, again, with Chet coming in and you know, Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy continuing to grow, like the shots were going to have to come from somewhere. And to his credit, you know, Lou Dort is not, he's very rarely this season, I felt, forced things. Um, a, a lot of his shots have come in the flow of the offense. They've come from very good uh, corner shots uh, from three. Um, not so many like up at the top of the key and, and some of those last season that, you know, as soon as the shot went up, we didn't feel super confident about where it was going to go. Um, and then, yeah, he's been he's been better driving towards the basket. Um, and then like last night, you know, he gets a key block on Trey Young late in the game and uh, that spurs a fast break. He's uh, I, I think you, you've got to be just thrilled with how he's played early on. And again, uh, being that, that being that link uh, to, to kind of fill in what the other four guys are bringing around him. Yeah, the shooting from three is definitely not sustainable and probably not the regular field goal percentage either. But it's just like his shot um, frequency and the amount of shots he was taking was much lower. And then. You know, he has the game against the Warriors where he really goes off, which is exactly what you want to have. If you're feeling it, keep going. But if it's an average night, then yeah, probably keep with your same, you know, eight or so shots. But that's what you want from Lou is to kind of be this X factor offensively, where if he is hitting, it can change a lot of things for the Thunder. Because if you have that many shooters out there who can also defend around Shea, you're going to be dangerous. So my next takeaway early on in this season so far, and I just wrote about this uh, for Sellout Crowd. Thunder have a rebounding issue. Now, there's a lot of context behind that. And it's not as simple as, oh, well, then just go trade for a rebounder. But early on, Michael, um, offensive rebounding. This team is dead last in offensive rebounding total. Uh, it is 29th in opponent offensive rebound percentage, which means they are allowing their opponents to grab a ton of offensive rebounds, as we saw last night. And probably even last night's game against Atlanta is really inflating that number quite a bit. Um, and yeah, they're they're towards the bottom in defensive rebounding percentage. It is an issue. Now, um, as with you know anything in the in, in the game of basketball, there's trade-offs. And the way that the Thunder want to play, the way they want their identity to be, you know, it's going to leave them vulnerable at that end. And it's something the team is, you know, that they are not unaware of it. It is something that they know needs to be addressed. They just can't get, you know, out rebounded by great amounts night in, night out. Um, but you see, you see an emphasis on that. Like last night, I saw extra efforts on guys trying to box out. It seems like a lot of times it's like the ball just, it tends to find the other team. And I don't necessarily think it's always a height issue. I don't necessarily think it's a, you know, box out issue. Um, it just, I don't know. It just seems like sometimes the ball hits, hits the hand and it just bounces off into an opponent. Um, and Atlanta got so many offensive rebounds, but that was off of like double and triple misses. So it's a little misleading, but it doesn't take away from the fact that there is an issue with the Thunder rebounding right now. Yeah, I don't think it's just all boxing out, like you said. I think that there are a lot of times where it's just ball watching and just kind of hoping it lands in their hands. Mm -hmm. I think that they are still adjusting to having Chet as a rim protector, where last year they had to really over-rotate and help, so they had more guys in the paint, where now you don't have to do that as much. You can kind of stay home, and those longer rebounds that go out to the free-throw line that seem like every other team is getting might be more available for the Thunder. But I think that uh, Josh, like, we talked earlier that he's started out cold, but his rebounding has been 
consistent over the last couple of years, and I'd like to see more of an emphasis from him if the shot is not going early. But I'm with you. The rebounding is something that I would be pretty concerned about just in terms of the teams that they played early with Detroit. Um, you've had New Orleans. You've had um, Denver and teams like that who really crashed the boards and have uh, bigs that rebound at a high rate. And even the first game against Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Vucevic and Drummond, uh, they like to play traditionally big, as does Billy Donovan, as we remember here in Oklahoma City. Um, Cleveland, they got a bit of a break because Jared Allen wasn't playing. But, you know, it, I think if they keep the rebounding battle in check within a few rebounds, you know, that that's that's fine. Even if they are on the losing end of that by a few, it's when they start losing the rebounding battle by five or six or more in terms of total rebounds, whenever they are not getting a high percentage of defensive rebounds and they're letting opponents continue to extend those positions. Um, those are things that, again, I'm making a note of. I wrote a little bit about it. I'm interested in coming back later in the season and saying, okay, how much has this shifted? You know, hopefully it has shifted by then and is, is normalizing a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, the Thunder are aware of it and, uh, you know, they're going to do, you know, they're going to task their guys to improve from within because, you know, sure. It, some people think the fix is to just go out and get a traditional big or someone that's going to vacuum up rebounds. Well, you got to sacrifice something because you can't play six guys. And so you think, oh, we can give up some playmaking to do that. Well, that is going to, you know, that is going to rob the team of what it wants to do. It's, you know, if if you say we're going to, you know, give up some perimeter defense in order to get someone that can, you know, inhale rebounds, well, that's going to be a cost as well. And I think it's it's far too early to tell whether that needs to be fixed. It's it might seem like it right now to some people, um, but I think down the road is when the Thunder will will have enough data to look at it and say okay, we're in a good place or, okay, we are willing to make this trade off because we think that's a big enough issue, but they're not there now. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, just plugging and playing other guys, a basketball team, it's like a scale, like the old time, like you have it on each side and you can't just add one piece and take the other one. It's like, okay, well now it's fixed. Like there's a lot of pieces moving. There's scales on the scales even of uh, these teams. And I think that there is a path for improvement, but yeah, it's going to have to be within, I think Kenrich Williams getting back and healthy will be nice. I think that they are lacking some of his physicality with guys like Usman Jang who have been good this year, but he just doesn't have that same level of strength and just, I don't know, tenacity on the boards, but I wouldn't be super, super worried. And going back to something that you said that you don't have to win the rebounding war every time you don't have to win the turnover battle. It can be up and down. There's a couple here and there and you can still win. But when there's these giant, chasms of like the Grand Canyon and the rebounding offensive and defensive, then yeah, you have no chance. But if it's close, that's something you can definitely live with and win with. Yeah. And, and Mark Dagnall even talked about basically their margin for error is not great on that end. Uh, so again, it's understood something to keep an eye on. I would not call it a, you know, like where you have to call the handyman right now and take care of it. Or you're going to have major problems. So, um, other takeaway early on this season, uh, I've been looking at uh, who's in the rotation, who's kind of in, and who is all the way out. Let's talk about Case and Wallace here for a few minutes because, you know, it felt like he was going to be a guy that worked his way onto the floor. Tenth overall pick, uh, seemed to check all of those thunder boxes. I think our only concern 
was they've got a lot of guys that could potentially play minutes of those positions. Uh, but Cason Wallace is getting the nod. He got the start in a game where Shea Gilgis Alexander had to miss because of a sprained knee. And he just comes out and he, he looks like poised whenever he's played out there and he's done really well early on this season. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, going back, back to something that Sam Presti said, just no agenda basketball. Cason's going out there and he's not going, okay, this is my opportunity. I'm really going to show out. I'm going to score a bunch of points. He's just doing his job and he's doing it at a high level. And he's not somebody like, if you didn't look at the baby face of him being 19, you wouldn't <laughs> think that he's a rookie because he's playing really well. Like they throw him out on Steph Curry. They've thrown him out on Trey Young. They've thrown him out on Zach Levine. And Mark Dignall the other night against the Hawks said, I trust him guarding anybody. And early on, like you mentioned, that he'd be fighting for those minutes. But with Mark, we know that it's going to be on the defensive end where you buy your minutes. And for him to have that level of trust in Kaysen early has very much impressed me. But what else have you liked about Kaysen? Yeah, uh, obviously, I I liked his shooting early, and I didn't think he was going to finish the season shooting 100% from three. And sure enough, he proved me right on that. But, um, you know, he's he's just got sort of a nose for the basketball, and uh, he is he's held up very well defensively. As you said, it's been sort of like, hey, see that see that Hall of Famer over there, see that All Star. That's your assignment tonight. Go get him. And it's been fine. And yeah, I, I do want to correct one thing. He's no longer 19 years old. He is now 20. I apologize. <laughs> 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, and is coming out. And again, he just looks solid. And um, as it, it merits, you know, a little bit of warning that eventually he will wind up on some scouting reports. Teams are going to find out if there's, you know, things that he's doing that they can uh, counteract that. And that's going to be an ongoing back and forth. Um, but still, you know, the fact that w when he's getting the open look, he's shooting really well. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's attacking um, offensively and defensively. And uh, it's sort of what I, what, what I kind of thought was going to happen. I just didn't know whose minutes were going to suffer whenever he got on the floor. And I think one of the guys that we can look at is, is uh, Vasilye Micic, who, you know, signed a, signed a contract over the summer, a little over $7 million this season and next with a team option for a third year. Um, finally came over after a, you know, productive career overseas. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's alarming or I don't think it's a huge deal that he's not getting regular minutes right now. Um, but at the moment, like the Thunder sort of have the luxury of we're going to play Wallace. We're going to let him, you know, go out. And then if, if something kind of changes throughout the season and, and Michich gets a little more comfortable, then they can turn to him. But as of right now, uh, Michich is on the outside looking in. Yeah, there's still plenty of time. I would encourage anyone who's worried about Mitic to go back and look at Isaiah Joe's minutes in the first 10 games of last season. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of season left. And this kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier with Kaysen of Mark wants defenders. You have Shea, you have Chet, you have a lot of your scoring there. You need guys to kind of insulate them. And I think that Mitic will get his chance throughout this season. Uh, but I think there's still some adjusting to the NBA play. Uh, adjusting to some of the language things. So I wouldn't be super worried about it. I'm kind of, you know, I was like everyone excited about this international man of mystery, like whether he even exists and we got to see him a little bit, but I'd love to see more, but all in due time, I have no like disillusions of, or worries that that won't happen. He'll get a shot. He can pass. I mean, when he's gotten in the game, he has thrown some really slick passes and even dating back to the preseason, I mean, he just, he, he looks really smooth. And, uh, but again, the NBA is, is a very different tempo 
of, of a game. And so uh, a little bit of adjustment is, uh, is to be expected there, I think. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the, the the next one I'll pivot to from there, uh, kind of in, uh, he's he's in more than he's out, but it's Usman Jang. And I, I do think, you know, again, he's being pressed into a, an uncomfortable position right now, as you mentioned, with Kenrich Williams being out, Jalen Williams just getting back into the lineup. Um, and he's not, you know, he's he's not designed to be that type of physical, right? He's, um, he's more of a... I, I would say finesse uh, wing type player more than like uh, an inside bruiser. Um, but, you know, it was sort of telling to me in the game against Golden State, the in-season tournament opener, Jing played five minutes in that one. And, um, you know, that was also a game where Kevon Looney only played l- uh, 11 minutes for the Warriors. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's Jing is, I think, sort of at risk whenever Kenrich Williams gets healthy of having his minutes cut even more. And there's not a whole lot to cut right now yeah it feels like it'll be him and Wiggins fighting for a lot of those whatever's left because Kenrich is going to play a role on this team and I'm with you I've liked what I've seen from Oost but there is sort of this he's sort of like just out there where you don't know what his ideal spot is because he's still kind of searching and discovering what his game is I think in the minutes he has played he's been pretty good I mean he's kind of been reduced to a spot-up shooter offensively but defensively I've liked what we've seen from him going even back to last year where he was just in the right spots all the time even if he didn't make the play so I'm still high on him but I'm with you I think that some of those developmental minutes in high leverage games are going to be really tough for him to grab yep and speaking of minutes that are tough to grab right now uh Alexei Pokashevsky and Trey Mann two former first round picks for the Oklahoma City Thunder, who got playing time early on in the rebuild. And you know, some of this is to be expected. You know, the, the NBA moves fast, and you can get lapped. And uh, both of these guys have been for various reasons. Now, I don't think, you know, this is a definitive end to their Thunder career necessarily, but it goes to show just as the team has developed, as they've added more people, like Cason Wallace, for example, um, that's going to take a dent in Trey Mann's minutes, just like Isaiah Joe took a dent into them last season. You've got Chet Holmgren coming back. Jalen Williams has sort of established himself as the backup big man here. And so both of these guys are sort of on the outside looking in, at least very early on this season. Yeah, I mean, this was something that was eventually going to happen. If you have the number of draft picks that the Thunder had, at some point, some guys were going to get squeezed out. And to make an analogy to a different sport, like OU has had various five stars and then some guys who just are five stars and can't play. And it's not mm-hmm. always that they just can't play or they're not very good, but they get passed up for somebody. And Trey Mann and Poku probably would still be on another NBA roster right now. But just the level of play right now as they are, and then also potential, I think that a lot of other guys who are higher up in rotation are there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not unexpected. And if neither player works out, you know, uh, there's going to be some teeth gnashing, but I go back to the Denver Nuggets who also not, maybe not to this degree, but they kept adding in a lot of drafted players year after year. And suddenly they didn't have room for Malik Beasley or Juancho Hernan Gomez. And both of those guys were traded to Minnesota for a single first-round pick. And I remember Beasley went and started playing really well. I think Wancho had some some early showing in Minnesota. Again, a bad team at the time with plenty of opportunity. And But, you know, Denver didn't have a spot for him anymore. 
and moved them along. And, you know, they were able to continue their careers. And Beasley is still in the NBA. Hernan Gomez, I believe, signed overseas. But, you know, he got a couple other contracts. Um, Denver was just fine. <laughs> you know, it's even if they had a couple of former first round picks that that washed out. Denver also made a couple of trades that in hindsight are kind of baffling, trading away the rights to Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, for example. Um, so I know that there, you know, there could there would be reason for people to just saw, you know, draw grand conclusions or get some hot takes off or whatever. Um, but when you have a team like Oklahoma City that is dedicated to rebuilding, especially through the draft, yeah. Um, you know, there's gonna be new guys coming in every year. And someone like Aaron Wiggins has been able to sustain and to continue to carve out a role along the way. Some guys are going to get left behind. And, and I think that's just natural with what the Thunder are doing. Yeah. If you're going to cycle through this many players like the Thunder have, you can all, go all the way back to the process of all the guys who got away, Jeremy Grant, Robert Covington and others. It's just the numbers game. And then another yeah. thing going back, you mentioned two first round picks. It's not like these guys were top five picks who flamed out. Like late lottery to mid first round is just a total crapshoot in a lot of ways where you're just trying to grasp for straws and missing on a couple of those guys whenever you also hit on J-Dub, I think is fine. And it's not like the Thunder teams in the past where if you miss on campaign, you're kind of screwed. They have a lot of options here to look at other guys. And so as much as people are disappointed these guys aren't playing, you should be just as excited about the hits above. And, you know, again, perfect drafting is never going to happen. Sure. You know, it's it's easy to sit back and imagine, well, what if the Thunder would have traded up and taken Tyrese Maxey, who looks like an all-star right now in Philadelphia? Uh, what if OKC had taken Trey Murphy instead of Trey Mann? Valid. Um, but it's not like, you know, are you going to are you going to put those guys on this team and also give them minutes along with who they have? You know, it's like you say. It's a numbers game. Uh, the Thunder have done well drafting outside of that. If they had bricked every other draft pick, we could be having a different conversation right now. But they're not the Sacramento Kings of the prior, you know, 19 years or whatever before they made the playoffs. And, um, you know, and we'll see. I mean, Pokashevsky and Trey Mann, you know, it's frankly, you're just an injury away. You're just a cold stretch uh, away from from being able to get another opportunity. And they still have a chance with this team, I believe, uh, to carve out a role if it presents if 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 it does present itself. Yeah, at least they're not the Washington Wizards where it's like 15 straight years of guys in the top 10 where you're just like, yeah, I don't know if this guy's any good, but these guys will get another chance. I don't think this the story on these guys is like closed by any means. But like you mentioned. It'll take some luck or an injury here or there, but I don't think this is the last we've seen of either Poku or Trey. Yeah. Again, more things to keep an eye on throughout the season, along with the other early observations that we have. So we'll be circling back to these and more as the stories present themselves throughout the season. So thanks to Michael again for joining me here. Uh, thank you for stumbling across this show, watching, listening. If you like this, if it's your first time, hit subscribe, hit like, tell your friends about it, share it out on social media. Look for my newsletter on selloutcrowd.com. You can sign up for mine and the other creators there as well. And, uh, uh, you know, look for my written content there as well. Again, I've got a story about the Thunder's rebounding and uh, a lot of other things that come to mind that just make their way into a Google document and out onto the internet. So thank you for all of your support. Have a great day, everyone. Talk to you soon. Here we go!